everyone, and welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, a Degrassi Viewing Podcast. I'm your veteran, Donnie. Um, I'm Frank. I'll be reading for the Neophyte. Oh. Well, today we are going to be doing some callback auditions. Frank's going on vacation. Woo! <laughs> and our lives are hectic. Yeah, they're a bit hectic, but hey, it's not so bad. We're actually recording in Frank's room, which we have not done since, God, like season one? Uh, <laughs> season two? I think we're yeah. I think season two. I think we did one in here, um, but actually, I don't realize this is something I want to show you. Ugh. Oh yeah, you've told me about this, but you should probably tell the listeners about it. So what I'm holding up is a picture of, of my grandfather Franklin. Uh, I was named after him, and it's it, it's him on the cover of Life magazine. But the thing is. Um, I always thought he actually was on the cover of Life magazine. Then it turns out he wasn't. It was just he had a friend who worked for Life magazine who mocked up, like, this fake cover for him. And I was just like, oh my god, I have an original Photoshop. Yep, you do. So, but anyway. It's a uh, good story. We're going to be garage selling, so we need to hop into it. Yeah, it's true. We... We hang out outside of our podcast, although it's good to be back in your room. I'm holding the little Lapras bean, which we used to hold a whole lot when we recorded in here back in the day. And we're using microphones for once. And we're using microphones. We're not, like, having to mute all of my Discord servers with heinous names. Um. I'm not being sent terrifying super buff Pokemon by Jazz. <laughs> Nobody needs to hear what the first, like, 20 minutes of us getting a connection to the guest are like, because they're literally cursed. Uh, nobody needs the, like, 15 minutes after where Frank is just trying to sleep and I'm yelling about, like, <laughs> fictional characters being queer icons and everything. It's just a mess. <laughs> it's not I'm trying to sleep. I'm usually walking around your apartment while you talk to the guest so that I can stay awake on my ride home. <laughs> yeah, it's just like... <laughs> Basil and Dahlia. Oh, we won't have Basil and Dahlia being in the middle of this one, either. They were like we we um we were watching the last episode um before uh, we were watching the episode uh, before this um, back in black and Dahlia and Baze were just being so aggressively on Donnie. They love me. They, I understand that, but usually like they always pay attention to me, so you can focus on writing notes for the episode. No, they wanted to snug mom. <laughs> so, anywho. Anyway, so we're doing callback auditions. This was on. Uh, which DVD case? Season 2. This was in Season 2. Um, so basically the way that this one worked is, I assume what ended up happening was after the kids that were featured in this did their initial tryout, they then got to do like some sort of preliminary interactions with some of the principal characters. Yeah. Um, so some of them have more than others in this list, um, but it's mostly them doing... I would venture to say the scenes that they were doing, they were very similar to what ended up in the episode. I think that some of them, the it felt like the feelings were being drawn very specifically, and I don't know how much of it was rough draft and how much of it was a way to, like, re-script it for the sake of the tryout to kind of see if the kid was going to hit each emotion. Yeah. But, um, so we got to see some different dynamics and see what they were like in the early, early, early stages. Um, the first one was uh, Jake Epstein. 
Um, and he has a couple in this collection. The first one that he, he has the most. He has the most. I, I think this is once again the thing of like we know Jake, Jake Epstein's going to be the star. I think it's that, and I also think that because like basically a lot of these scenes, a lot of these scenes with each actor kind of pulls a different complex emotion out of him. So I think there was also that kind of thing where they wanted to make sure that this kid could handle the many different facets of Craig that they were trying to introduce within the first season yeah. that he was on. Because um, the first one is right out of the gate. It's him when he's, like, visiting his mother's grave. And um, Joey approaches approaches him. And eventually Craig reveals the extent of the abuse from his father. Um, it should also be noticed that he does all of his scenes wearing a Bob Marley shirt and, like, a surfer necklace. Because that's what you wore when you were a boy in that era. <laughs> this, is, this is where the fucking downtown Sasquatch, like reggae phase came from yeah i think so um there's an interesting note at the beginning my favorite part of whenever we watch these videos is i absolutely love hearing the note that whoever that person is off screen i don't know if she's a producer or what but like i really like hearing her notes for each character because you kind of get a better idea of what the intent of these characters are and in, in craig's case um, she was trying to explain the balance of Craig as a character, which is that, you know, he comes off like he's a Teflon man. He comes off like everything just kind of bounces off of him. But the truth is, is that everything hits him and everything impacts him. And he's just trying to hide that aspect of himself as much as he possibly can. Um, and it's an incredibly difficult character to try and play. And, and she does kind of acknowledge that piece where it, it is a balancing act to try and play this character. I think he does a great job with it. We've talked about it before, but it is when you actually hear the notes being presented to to the actor, you kind of realize like how many different facets they are expecting this kid to to show. Um, and while I don't love some of the direction that they went with Craig, you can tell that they were trying to find this kind of balance between let's have an abuse survivor that you can talk about abuse with, but also like let's have a character who's actually a part of the fold of the community. Um, and it was interesting kind of hearing them present all of this. And I, I think Jake also, I really like how he reacts to this type of stuff. I feel like he asks a lot of inquiring questions and clarifying questions. And I find that really enjoyable whenever he, whenever I've seen him in some of this bonus content. Yeah. Like when he's getting the notes, he just has this look of pure seriousness on his face. Yeah. And like, he's just able so easily to slip into the, like the dramatic, the dramaticies of it. Exactly. Um, and the last note is, is like, you know, you're at your mother's grave and the last thing you expect is to see someone. Um, so he just kind of like goes really quickly into Craig mode. He goes like on his knees. He's reaching out. He's clearly supposed to be touching her headstone. Um, and then Joey enters. Um, and I thought that this piece, which I don't remember being in the episode, maybe it's just because it's been a while and we've been watching so much Degrassi, but, like, the way that he delivers, like, Joey's just like, you know, like, what's going on? Like, I don't understand. And and Craig says, like, I'm a terrible kid. Mm. And I make my father angry. Mm -hmm. And and Joey's just like, no, you're not. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Um, and it's a very interesting exchange of how he just kind of has internalized, like, I piss off my father. I'm a bad kid. Yeah. Um, and I also really like how, um, I feel like Jake in particular is very good at this where I feel like he's able to just kind of like let sentences die and just kind of trail off. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much of it is just like it's in the notes of it, but I feel like he does it very well. 
Um, I feel like he has a theatricality in how he delivers things. I think that he just kind of has a leg above a lot of the actors. And I actually think a lot of the actors, especially at this point in the game, are, are pretty solid. But you can tell that he is a professional. Yeah. Like, it's very much like he's, he's working with a lot of eye contact where, like, he looks up at Joey and then looks down again. And, like, he glances up at Joey when he says something that doesn't quite fit his schema and then looks down again. Like, there's a lot of, like, very subtle types of gestures like that that make it, like, a full experience. Um, and, and, of course, the scene kind of ends with um, Craig showing the bruises, Joey hugging him, um, him admitting that he gets hit and all that type of stuff. I think this plays out differently in the episode, too. Um, I don't remember him showing the bruises to him. Um, it's, it's been, been a, a minute. We yeah. should check the uh, transcript on that one. Well, you keep going. Fuck my phone. Yeah. Um, but it's done in a way that there's parts of it that I think are not as subtle as the episode itself. I will say that, but I do think that it does kind of require the actor to, to, to go about this a certain way. And I'm sure that's why it was structured the way that it was. Yeah. But, um, I, I think it's very, I think it was a uh, pretty well done, pretty solid. So Joey is trying to get him to calm down. Craig's like, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? Back home so dad can. Joey, what? Do what? What does he do to you? He hits you, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Craig, yeah, he does. He starts to cry. He goes to Joey and Joey hugs him as he cries. And that's that's the entire scene. Yeah, I was going to say, it's much more subtle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's... Um, so yeah, it's a pretty interesting scene to see play out a little differently. Um, the next scene that we see is... Is uh, Craig and Sean, which... We legitimately started laugh screaming because as soon as it goes on, we see Daniel Clark and he is wearing a ribbed white turtleneck that's a little, little too big on him. And we legitimately could not contain ourselves. Oh, his hair. Oh, his hair is also like, it's like he, he dyed it blonde and like he's in the process of growing it out. So, like, his roots are, like, an inch and a half, two inches long. <laughs> so, like, it looks almost like there's, like, a, a, a like a hole on the back of his head of just brown. Um, he's had a haircut since his hair has been blonde, so there's, like, chunks of it that are blonde and chunks of it that are his natural hair color. Like, that, like, I, I wasn't even laughing about the turtleneck, because we've seen him in that turtleneck. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of wondering if he walked with that turtleneck. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> but, like, I was just laughing at his hair. And if you listen to Teen Girl Talk, or I guess this, like, those are the two appearance things I give myself allowance to laugh at, because those are things you can change. It's true. <laughs> it's very true. Um, so they're being told that they're going to sit at the train tracks, um, which we're kind of familiar with the scene. Once again, it plays out a little differently. Um, but we do have the scene uh, where they're at the train tracks. Eventually, Craig um, puts himself in front of the train. Um, and... It's interesting because, once again, um, Jake is asking a lot of inquiring questions, Daniel is listening very intently, and as soon as they start transitioning into the scene, they both shift from, like, you know, their usual selves to Craig and Sean. Like, it's like, very interesting. Like, Daniel's laughing. Yeah. We don't see a bunch of that in Degrassi. I don't, I don't think we've ever seen Sean laugh. Not, like, a full-on laugh. No. Yeah. Like, he doesn't, like, the biggest smile I remember is from his first date with Emma. Yeah. Like, in when, they, when uh, 
uh, Spike took the picture of him. Yeah, like, he smiled a couple times, but it's, it's been very few and far between. He has, I don't really remember him ever truly, like, just laughing. Like, yeah. a capital L laughing. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because it's, like, they get into the role, and I feel like, like, with, with Daniel especially going into Sean, he starts just kind of, like, crouching forward. Yeah. Um, he starts just kind of, like, his hands kind of change their grip a little bit. He becomes very sullen looking. Meanwhile, um, Craig, uh, Jake going into Craig, like, you know, he, he, he looks a little bit more detached, a little bit more like he is kind of going through it, which, I mean, he is at this point in the episode. Um, and they're both just kind of, like, hunched over. Um, they start kind of pantomiming, like, throwing rocks on the train track, because that's what they're told that they are doing. Um, and it's very interesting, um, because this one, in this version of the scene... Uh, Craig talks a lot more about his mother and how he feels abandoned by his mother, which which is a note that I feel like the, the, the episode really doesn't hit very much at all. And it's interesting I because I kind of understand why they took it out, because I think that that would have been, that in of itself could have been its own plot, like what to do when um, you have lost your mother, when your mother was involved with somebody else and also then got sick and then left in multiple senses of the word. It's it is an incredibly difficult thing to kind of try and process. And I understand why they went, mm, this is way too much if we do both of these. If we stack this, this is not going to work. Yeah. Um, so he talks about how, like, his mom should have tried harder. And Sean's like, your mother had cancer. Um, and it's one of those things where, like, then eventually it escalates to Jake being, uh, to, uh, Craig being like, well, I could just, like, live on the streets. And Sean's like, no, you can't. That's fucking difficult. <laughs> and it's just, like, Sean just trying to be the realist as Craig is hurtling out of control in a, in a way that kind of just keeps escalating until the person off screen goes, train. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then um, Craig goes into the scene where he's standing on the train tracks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this was interesting because the first time he delivers... It, it's way more um, manic sounding. It's more like he's he's throwing his voice a lot more when he does it. He, he's being more dramatic about it. And then the, the second time around, he's given the note, you know, be more subtle. And I think it works a lot better. It sounds more like he is in, like, he's, like, going through it in the second version where he's just like, well, fuck, what else do I have to lose? Yeah. Um, it, it, it kind of sets, it totally sets it in a way that you kind of feel the helplessness of the situation and the hopelessness of the situation, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, also, like, Craig pulls himself off the track. It's not Sean that has to... Well, I think they didn't want to have Daniel Kirk yeah. just tackling the shit out of Jacob's Right. I'm just like, maybe we shouldn't do that before we have a contract signed. <laughs> Until he has health insurance. Right, right. Um, well, he's Canadian. He has health insurance. Fair. Rip. <laughs> um, but, st- but still, just... <laughs> I don't think they start off like John Wick and they're like, okay, we're gonna fight a punch. Like, alright. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Unless you're the actual stuntman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they also... But they do have like a blinding light on to represent the train. Right. And Daniel Clark, for some reason, keeps looking into it. And <laughs> being like, oh right, I should stop looking into it. I feel it. <laughs> I feel it. So. 
So anyway. Yeah, so the next one is Craig and Manny. This one's kind of inconsequential. It's just like at that dance where Craig asks Manny to join. Um, they're like all nerves while they're acting, and Manny is so small. <laughs> She's such a small bean. She's so tiny. Um, it was really cute, actually, in that sense. Um, it's just kind of dopey. And I, I think it once again kind of goes into, I think what they were trying to do with Craig is, like, they wanted to make sure that if they had, whoever they had to play that role, they could do anything, basically. Yeah. Like, they could be at the disposal of the writers. Like, you can be the heartthrob. You can be the, the <laughs> sad brain boy. You can be, like, whatever in between that we need you to be. <laughs> like, imagine they brought, um, oh, God, what's her name? Um... Manny's actress. Uh, Cassie Steele. Cassie Steele. God, I can't forget such an awesome name. I know, it's a really good name. Um, they brought Cassie Steele, like, one of those pain charts, like, that they have in hospitals to, like, describe your pain, and it's just, like, a cute boy chart. It's like, okay, so how would you describe Jake Epstein on a range of Joey Fatone to Justin Timberlake? Mm. And she's just like, Timberlake. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's pretty simple. Like, it's really funny to me in terms of how awkward it is, but, like, that's kind of it. Yeah. Um, so the next one is Craig and Emma. Um, and this one is Craig sitting next to Emma and being like, hey, I know who you babysit. Which is a fucking weird, like, opening salvo. It's really weird. It's, I feel like that was kind of a thread, though, with, with, in terms of, like, how Craig... It talks about Angie and everything. Like, I feel like a lot of his, like, ability to reason appropriate behavior kind of goes out the window because, damn, it's just like, well, like, how else am I going to see her? Like, mm. I got to do weird, underhanded shit if I actually want to see her. <laughs> hence, hence taking pictures of her at her, like, daycare facility. Um, it's like, it's like being, Jake Epstein's like, I'll learn from my mentor, Eddie Guerrero, on how to hang out with Angie. Gotta lie, cheat, and steal. But yeah, like, that's kind of how it feels. Like, it feels like he just thinks that there's no other way that he can do it. So the way he's going to do it, in this case, is to, like, you know, reconnect with Emma. Um, and it's a really awkward conversation as well, because he's like, you know, I'm Angie's brother. Uh, actually, half-brother. And she's just like, uh, okay. Um, and then it... T- <laughs> Good for you! <laughs> right, and it, like, takes a weird amount of time for them to actually, like, establish that they know each other. I feel like this is less drawn out in the episode, um, but that's okay, like, mm. whatever, they're trying to, they're just trying to kind of test out the actors and how they interact with each other, so I'm not gonna, like, harp on it that much. Um, but yeah, like, he, he eventually goes, like, you know, it's nice seeing a familiar face, even if they don't recognize me. Um, it's a little stilted, but I also feel like... <sighs> I, f- I feel like that's how the conversation would go. Yeah, would yeah, that's how it feels. Like, it, it, it would be awkward. odd. Yeah, like, there's no way, I feel like, to smooth out a conversation that is just that peculiar. Yeah. Um, so the next time we, uh, we, next character we have is, um, well, we have Stacey Farber with Ellie. Um, and she has to do so many runs of the first scene. The first scene is the, um, Ellie and Paige confrontation when we actually meet Ellie, which is that Paige is trying to take what she sees as her seat so she can sit next to Hazel. And, um, Ellie is just like, yeah, no, bye. (laughs) And, like, they're just running her through, like... More aggressive, more cutting, you're sweet, but still tough as nails. Yeah, they basically are trying to pull a lot of different types of emotions out of her. Um, Honestly, I thought the first run was the best run. Yeah. It was the most natural. Yeah. Because I feel like... 
I do understand what they were trying to do because I think that Ellie Ellie is a type of character that there were many different ways they could have rolled with her. Mm-hmm. I think what they chose was the right one, but I feel like the reason why alternative girl characters in this type of media falter is because they fall into some of the other traps of some of the other types of takes they were trying to get out of her. Yeah. Because the first one she does, it's very natural. It's very, I mean, it's what we kind of know Ellie to be. Like, just kind of, like, she's she stands her ground, but, like, also she's not going to raise her voice. Like, she's not going to fall into the trappings of other people in terms of confrontation. She's going to be like, no, this is the situation. Fuck you. Like, I'm not moving. <laughs> um, and just keeping that kind of tone. This version of it has a very peculiar, like, your fembot, like, calls like Hazel a fembot. I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, but once again, I think it has to do with some of the trappings of a character like this. Where it's very easy to make that character kind of just, like, attack other women in the process. I think that's very common. I don't love it for many reasons. Um, but, like, you know, she's just very firm. She's like, I'm not moving. I'm not leaving. Oh, I see that's your friend. I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> I'm here bye-bye. to learn. <laughs> yeah, like, bye bye <laughs> I don't care. Um, and... But yeah, she's initially told um, to play it however. What I thought was really funny about this first run was how much acting they were doing with their hands. Like, they were doing a lot of gesturing at each other and pointing at each other and pointing at themselves. And it was really funny watching them do that. Like, I kind of liked it. Like, I understand that it's not always play the best on film when you have a lot of hand motions like that. But there was a part of me that liked the idea that they both have very similar communication styles in that sense. Yes. Because, I don't know, I find the contrast... the 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 similarities between them kind of intriguing. Yeah. Um, it's a dynamic that honestly is is quite underutilized in the grand scheme of things. Um, and I don't mean it in the general like prep versus goth type stuff that was really common, especially in this era. I, I just think that it's interesting to kind of watch how their communication styles intersect and contrast with each other. Yeah, plus we're both Italian, so we come yes. both nonstop of our hands. Oh, right, right. Like, I'm literally, like, whenever I'm recording, like, my hands eventually go up and are, like, going around, and it's like, nobody can see this. It doesn't matter. And yet, like, it's just the way that I, my body reacts to communication. Susie has punched the microphone you're using at least three times over the course of the two two to three years of teen girl talk. Honestly, the fact that I do not just slam my hand on the... Like, it took a couple... It took a while to resist just, like, slamming my hand on the table because if anyone knows me when I talk about something I'm really passionate about, it is very common for me to just, like, freaking grip the table and just yell. Like, <sighs> there's a reason why on my Twitter account it says that I slam bar t- uh, like bar tops and scream about Fire Emblem because it's like... I do like that type of shit all the time. You tell me something that I care about, and it's just like I feel the need to ground myself. It is embarrassing. It, it's always funny though, because like we'll be eating dinner or something. You'll make a point about fire and bone and just sweep my dinner out. It's like why mine? <laughs> <laughs> and then you're, then you're just like like oh is some is the like won't somebody please think about the straight white man? It's like shut up. <laughs> He's not straight. <laughs> Everybody knows that, Frank. No, I'm, not saying, I'm, saying, I'm saying in response to my response to you swiping my Tinder away like it's a Tinder. <laughs> right? In my house. Will somebody please think of the straight white man in my house? <laughs> to be fair, Frank, I think you might be the only straight white man who enters my house on a regular basis. <laughs> 
I mean, I know, like, you've told me that's what's going to happen at the wedding we're going to. And I'm like, all right, cool. Right. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. <laughs> but the only criteria for any wedding, for Frank to attend any wedding is, is there dancing? Yes. All right, cool. I'll be there. <laughs> we, we, like, live record in the at the wedding. Just like, hello, everybody. <laughs> Here we are live at this cruise wear themed wedding. <laughs> We're trying to say our vows, yeah, but we're trying to talk about Marco. <laughs> Cassie's like, you're part of the bridal party. What the fuck are you doing right now? I just said, we're trying to talk about Marco. <laughs> like, you could do that literally any other time. Um, oh. Anyway, um, so she does it the first time. I think it's really natural. I think it works. Um, the next time, she has, she's told to play it more aggressively. I don't think it really works. I don't think no. I really think it works for Ellie. I don't think it really works for Stacy and how she acts as well. It just kind of feels like like they're butting heads and coming at it with the same exact energy, and I don't really think that's how it should be. Yeah. It's just not how it should be. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, it's just like... Um, like, Ellie works best when she doesn't raise her voice. Yes, yes. Because it also just doesn't... That's just not, like, especially with the type of, of shit that she has gone through, yelling would not work. So why would she do it? Like, she's basically had it trained out of her. Yeah, but, like, when she does lose her temper with her mom in um, the episode she moves in with Sean, I can't remember the title right now, um, I felt like that's why it, I feel like it hit me so much harder. Because, like, it's, it's like... Yeah, it was like the difference between my mom and dad yelling. Like, my dad yelled all the time, so I was kind of nearer to it. But my mom, when she got angry, I'm like, oh no. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, it just doesn't quite work. The last one is like, you know, be sweet but firm. And I didn't like this one either. No. I, I thought it just it just read very, like, infantile Yeah. It, when it was done in that way. Like, it just didn't quite work for me. Um I, and it's not even like like I mean Stacy was trying, but I think she even kind of thought it was a little bit of bullshit. Like I think she was pretty happy with like just doing it naturally, and yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think like the first one kind of captures Ellie's indifference towards things that she doesn't believe matters. Yes. Like Paige does not enter her mindset, like or her thoughts. So why bother worry about it? Like, um. Same thing with, like, Ashley being like, I don't want to get my, my belly button pierced. It's like, fucking who cares? Right. <laughs> like, no, no, I agree. I think it, 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 it's one of those things where it's just like, that is kind of the thing. Like, she, she always knows that there are other situations happening in the world. There is always, like, other people going through harder shit. There is, like, everything else happening in the world. And she, her mind is focused, obviously, there. Ellie is Emma perfected. Yes. No, I think that's exactly it. And I think that's why Ellie really doesn't fucking like Emma. Is because, like, Emma is just not on her level in that stuff. And, and I, that sounds really fucking mean, but it's the truth. No, I'm just imagining Ellie being like, get in the game, you casual. Right, like, she's just like... <laughs> get good. It, it's very, Get like, morally good. Right, but, like, that's the thing. It's like, it's like, Ellie won't say this, but it's kind of been... I feel like it's implied, like, you know, I'm up here and you're down here. Yeah. Like... Fuck you. Um, but um, once again, I think it's a very subtle type of delivery because it's like, it's her not wanting to play into the game of this is the popular girl. Yeah. So there's no reason that she would be as aggressive as the first take, nor would she kind of, you know, play into the game in yeah. any way, like in the bubbly take. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. So the next one is Ellie and Ashley. This one has Lauren Collins as Ashley, which is interesting. I think. Okay. Oh, and also, I just want to make mention of Lauren Collins' outfit. It is yes. pure early aughts. Oh my She's god. She's wearing like the fake faded jeans. There's like a side zipper on it. It doesn't even have like buttons, like a normal fucking thing. Um. A pink hoodie and a very good Spencer Hastings messy bun. Yes. Um, so I'm like, yes. <laughs> She's wearing like a, it looks like she has a gray hoodie on, but it almost looks like there's a binder clip keeping it together. Like she doesn't actually have it zipped closed. And then she's wearing like a crop top. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare look. <laughs> and um, Ellie is wearing a denim jacket and jeans. More importantly, she was wearing cuffed flared jeans, which as somebody who also had to do that shit back in the day, I am watching the flared jean craze take come back in fucking New York City and I'm dreading it. I can't go back, guys. I can never go back to flared jeans. I cannot. I am not tall enough. It is like it's just not going to happen. Yeah, but I feel like the reason Lauren, I feel like Lauren Collins is probably just reading for Ashley because like either A, Melissa McIntyre was not available, or B, like we don't want to have to bust Melissa McIntyre here. Right, right. <laughs> Nothing against Melissa McIntyre. She seems perfectly fine, but like. Yeah, I don't know how many like folks they had on call that day. Yeah. And how many like? <laughs> Let's just bring in everybody. It's like we got all the shit to do. We have homework to do. Right, right. Um, so in this one, we have Lauren Collins as Ashley. Um, Stacy is wearing those horrid cuffed flare jeans. Um, and it's the part where Ashley is like, I on the floor, on the floor, but in this one she's sitting in a chair. Um, <laughs> just kind of really upset about the friend situation. Ellie approaches her. Um, it says like, you know, you deserve better friends. Um, and she could potentially be that better friend. And it's taken in a way that's pretty light. And the person who, who gives feedback notes it saying that like, you know, Ellie is trying to reach out, and there is always the fear that it might blow up. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and and I feel like we see a lot in the final version of Ellie, this, this desire for closeness, but the fear of always either fucking it up, missing the mark, not being able to make that connection. So I, I really liked the subtlety in this one, uh, in that note, because the next time around she does it, and it's way more detached but in a good way yeah i feel like when she talks to ashley in this one it kind of comes off like she's trying to be sage-like yeah and i like that because i think it's it's trying to express how you feel but also keeping the arm out and being like i'm not going to be vulnerable here i'm just going to sound like i'm giving advice yeah um and i think that was a really good note um, I think there were other ways that this could have been played out, and I'm sure, you know, maybe there were different ways that they could have approached it, but I think that there is a good contrast between the two. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool watching, being able to give feedback to kids these age, having them actually take the advice, and then roll with it. Yeah. It, it's not easy. Um, the last one, we have we have one, one Adamo scene, um, and this one is with Terry, and this one is interesting... Um, because this is from, uh, when Terry was doing the plus size modeling B-plot. Yeah. And this scene is interesting because this is actually the scene Spinner has with Terry where he walks in on Terry canceling the photo shoot. Yeah. Um, and when I saw the scene with Spinner, I liked it on the pretense that I was holding out that Spinner and Terry would have a moment together. Yeah. Um, I think that after the fact, knowing that 
they do not end up together. I am less enthused about Spinner doing that scene. Like, it just kind of felt like, okay, but, like, like it just kind of felt superfluous in a way. Um, just because it was kind of like, well, what's the point in the grand narrative of everything? Yeah. Um, and I also, like, you know, we were talking a little bit before. Frank brought up, like, you know, if, if he ended up with Terry, things would have played out very differently. <laughs> um, they probably would have, but also, like, I don't know. Terry, in general, is such a missed opportunity um, and I can't even say in 2019 she would have been given justice. No. There's a part of me that kind of feels like she always would have probably ended up in this type of arc, and it would have been really upsetting no matter what. Yeah. It's just there aren't, like, fat characters aren't, are rarely given the level of complexity that I think Terry had the the setup for. They just never went through with it. Yeah. J- justice for Terry and Barb. Forever. Forever, honestly. Um, In this scene, we have Marco... um, Oh, man, this outfit. This outfit. It's like a diesel shirt. um, In Spanish, it says discoveries. Wearing a diesel shirt, wearing a wooden cross, wearing a, um, like, tinted glasses, which he's told to take off later. Are they tinted? I thought they were just regular glasses. I couldn't tell if they were tinted or if it's just the lighting in the room or what. Anyway, they were a look. They were a choice. (laughs) Um, but yeah, Marco walks in on Terry while she's on the phone, um, and this one's kind of interesting, um, it's interesting having Marco in it, I feel like Marco's relationship with Terry, like, there's not much, Yeah. there's just not much, and it would have been nice to see, um, so I'm curious how this episode would have played out if they... Because if they had him doing that scene, that probably would have meant that he potentially would have operated as Spinner's role in that plot. Which is, he would have been the one to confront the guy making the disparaging comments and stuff like that. Yes. So, it's kind of interesting to think about, like, having Marco as that character. Especially because it it kind of feels like he wouldn't be. As much as, like, I would like to believe Marco would call out people... I think the fact of the matter is, at that point in his life, he was so terrified of any type of conflict. I don't know if he would have been really the person in this role, assuming they were operating as if Marco was going to be a gay character from the jump. Yeah. So, it's it's different. It's very different. If you really start thinking about it, it's kind of interesting. I don't know how much he actually would have been a good fit for this conversation. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like Marcus was sweet enough from the jump just to be good enough for it. That's a good way of looking at it. Um, so, he... Also, Terry, like, I forget the actress's name. Kristen, uh, Christina Smith. Christina. Christina looks super cute in this one. Um, <laughs> but she looks super cute, and, um... The first time around when he does it, he, like, sits next to her... Um, and he's kind of fast in his delivery, which is always kind of a note that I think he gets whenever he, we've seen him in some of this bonus content. Um, uh, so he, um, he kind of zooms through it and then he's told, you know, slow down, try and put more like, kind of put more like pity in your voice, more like, like, which I didn't really love as a note either. Yeah. Um, I think that what it should have been was more compassion yeah. in your voice. I think that would have been a, a note that, but also that might just reveal the bias of the person off screen. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always try to look on the bright side, but like that—that's what a, a a teenager wouldn't know exactly how to be super compassionate yet. But more like pity would be more teenager speed. Yeah, I guess so. Because they're still learning, you know, social cues and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes back to the position, uh, and he kisses the freaking cross around his neck, and I died. Frank was like, you gotta see this. Because <laughs> I was, like, looking down, taking notes, and then we rewatched it, and I yelled because, what? What a fucking Catholic boy. Um, anyway, so he does it again. Um, he definitely slows down. He kind of forces himself to have pauses, which I think is his way of just kind of being like, mm, nope, mm. stop, slow down. Um, and then the next, so, the next time he does it, um, he, like, is told to remove his glasses. Like, they kind of change how he enters the scene every single time. The first time he sits down next to them, the next time around, he, like, kind of loops toward one side to see Terry. The other time around, they're like, okay, like, loop the other way around to approach Terry and still stay standing. Um, I think the, I think ultimately Terry should have been standing too. Yeah. I feel like he was having a lot of trouble with that piece of it. Like, being like, uh, okay, okay, okay. Um, so, um... The last take is where you really see him as Marco. Yeah, I think that's also the one he takes off his glasses for. Yes, he has to take off his glasses. I think, like, once... One, for whatever reason, maybe it's just he went through it a bunch of times, he took his glasses off, I don't know what it was, but, like, it was the most heartfelt. Like, it's just very... Like, I feel like Marco in general is a very earnest character, and it kind of felt like that take was the most earnest of all of them. Yeah. So he was very sweet in it, and, like, kind of our usual good boy. Yes. Official good boy of the show. Yeah. Marco Del Rossi. So that's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, so we are still, our lives have been hectic, but as always, we really do want to do what we can to make sure that we get you content every single week um, that is always somewhat related to Degrassi. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at ihopod at gmail.com. Also, email us if you're interested in any guest appearances. Um, we had some offers and interest, and we're really happy to potentially have some new voices onto the show. Um, we are always looking for yours, even if you feel like, mm, I don't know, I'm not sure. Honestly, you get to hang out with us for, like, two hours. We scream about things. Sometimes we yell at my cats. But overall, we want to believe it's a good time. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow our Facebook group at I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at I Hope Pod. Um, social media is kind of in and out right now because I'm in the process of the school year starting Working with kids, you know that usually means we're running around like chickens with our heads cut off. At least I am. So um, hopefully I will be more consistent with that stuff very soon. Um... Feel free to follow us, talk to us, at us on those as well. It's always great hearing from you guys. I really, really appreciate any and all feedback that we receive. Um, we also have a couple ways you can support the show. You can donate to our coffee account. Any money that we receive is going to go toward tech upgrades as well as compensating our guests. Um, we also have a um, review challenge. Once we hit 20 reviews, we're going to go back into the Degrassi archives and we're going to check out some Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High episodes um, and giving you double the content, which is always a really fun thing. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at DM is Unbreakable, where I will be, I talk about writing. I have an article coming up fairly soon for Palm Mag, and a bunch of other things are happening. Also, it's just a lot of retweets of fan art right now, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, I am always happy to hear from you. 
Um, I don't have a uh, Twitter, but I do have another podcast called Teen Girl Talk, where my sister and I yell about various um, teen movies and media and books and whatnot. Um, this the week this comes out, we will be finishing up Snaping September with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part Two. Um, yeah, um, we were gonna do the Goldfinch, but that movie is super boring, and I'm unable to think of anything funny about it. So, <laughs> whoopsie do. Um, that happens sometimes. I also have a YouTube where I talk about mental health issues and uh, comic books and all kinds of things. Probably gonna be doing some Let's Plays pretty soon. Um, yeah. Awesome. And with that being said, everybody, we hope you can keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. See you next week. See you in Canada. Yeah. Well, I'm changing all my strings. I'm going to write another traveling song. About all the billion highways and the cities at the break of dawn. Well, I guess the best that I can do now is pretend that I've done nothing wrong And to dream about a train that's gonna 